Think about like a glass. Now, your glass at any given time should be empty so that you can throw in things like coffee or high-intensity exercise or dip in the sauna. And you can sort of use these things for the hormetic effect that they're going to have on your body, meaning that they're stressors that actually are going to make your body stronger. But I think a lot of people today are functioning you know, in a state where the glass is already sort of half full so that by the time you throw in, you know, the fight that you just had with your significant other or the project that, you know, you wait until the last minute to complete or, you know, that extra cup of coffee that you like to throw in in the middle of the afternoon, suddenly because your cup, your glass is already half full, that, that new, you know, additional load that you're throwing into the mix is going to become overload. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast, everyone. What's up, guys? So glad you're here. Glad to see you. Or glad to have your energy <laughs> radiating back to me. Glad to feel you. Welcome back to the podcast. We are thankful you're listening. We know that there's a lot of options out there, so it means a lot that you tune in to Almost 30 Podcast and connect with Lindsay and I in the community. Yeah, and we weekly release a podcast with a guest and another one on Thursdays with just Krista and I or one of us solo, just kind of catching up with you, talking about things that are on our minds and hearts, hopefully just relating to you all even more. So thank you always for connecting with us. We have a secret Facebook group with almost 20,000 women in there just being so sweet and supportive and vulnerable and funny as hell. Mm -hmm. And... I think if you're not in there, it would be a really beautiful addition to like what you do on the internets. Completely. And just like connecting with other women. Everyone was cracking me up. I was like, I'm curious how you would got, how you guys would describe your style in two words. Like I was trying to think about my style and the other day I was like kind of Instagram thoughty and I was like, oh, I kind of feel like a thought today. And then the next day I'm like, I feel like a grandma. And the next day I feel like trash. So I was just like, how would you guys describe your style in two words? And M wrote, no pants. <laughs> and another that one is goes, two words. Gym rat, which is funny. I tried was another one. Dude. So, so funny. funny. Cal- and then another one from Joy. Calm determination. Marina says thrift shop. <laughs> Lee says sweaty mess. Courtney says polished grunge. <laughs> Shella Ellen says trash can. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> this other girl goes, not LOL. <laughs> oh my God. It's so funny. Fashion's so weird. I don't, I literally think I'm a news person every day. Do you know what I mean? Same. I have no continuity to my style. Mm-mm, I wish that either. they, I wish that I did, but I have no continuity to my style. Yeah, I, I had this, fun. I took a selfie in this jacket and, and I sent it to Justin and was like, is this weird? Cause my hand was up and I was showing the fringe cause I have fringe on my jacket. I love how you asked Justin. 
I don't normally, <laughs> but I, I just wanted confirmation. And he goes, he goes, yeah, pretty. No tassels though. And I go, I'm trying to showcase the tassels. Justin's my fiance, guys. And I asked him for approval on a photo I posted. And he goes, yeah, no tassels though. And I go, okay, the tassels are the point. And he goes, okay, well, the last one looks like you're fainting because I put my hand over my head. Dude, guys are so literal. It's amazing. It's so funny. (laughs) It is like so funny. And then I said, no, the tassels are the point. He's like, okay, I need more tassels in the next one. (laughs) So funny. It's so funny. So literal. Um, we are recording this here in New York. We're so happy to be here. If you hear a little wind, we're in a water tower Yep, at the Williamsburg Hotel, which is gorgeous. So thankful to be here. But yeah, it is. it, it feels apocalyptic up here. It does. It's kind of ominous. <laughs> yeah, it's actually yeah, but very It's weird. cool. The Williamsburg Hotel, so where you've been staying in Williamsburg the whole time. Mm-hmm. And the Williamsburg Hotel is the only hotel in New York City that is owned by a female. So it's female owned. They work with amazing female centered brands and entrepreneurs and all of the things. So it's been really great to stay here um, this week. It's just felt perfect. The location is insane. I could not be happier about staying in Williamsburg. Yeah. It is the best. Yeah, there's just a a calmness. There's like a a neighborhood feel and the shops, the restaurants. It's just a nice relaxed vibe. Yeah, totally. Very different from the city. It's very different. I did SLT this morning and Claudia, sweet Claudia, who was teaching, she's a fan and I was like, she came up and was talking and I was like afterwards, I'm like, oh, I'm so embarrassed because I modify everything. Like modify like crazy in totally. that class. And I was like, oh, I bet you she... I just don't do sometimes. A hundred. I was like, I bet you she thinks I'm a good Pilates girl and I'm not. And I was just like, oh man, this is like... Don't have... I was like, oh, I wish she wasn't a fan because now she's going to be like, oh man, she sucks at Pilates. <laughs> totally. They're going to talk about it in the blogs. A hundred percent. Be careful. Yeah, it's been so nice. I'm here. My boyfriend's here. So it's been nice to like catch up with him and... Yeah, it's interesting, like, because we don't see each other that much, just having that, like, day-to-day interaction where it's, like, I can be more chill and not, like, what are we going to do? Like, what you know what I mean? It's just, like, a different vibe where we don't have to do-to-do and do everything because, ah, like, the urgency of it. So um, it's been fun to just feel like, hi, how was your day? Like, welcome home from work. Like Playhouse. Yeah, it's so fun. It's really, really nice. Anyway, that's all I'll say about that. I think, I think too, well, he came back on Instagram and I was like, okay. What was he, did he just deactivate? He just deleted the app. He wasn't okay. on for like 40 days. Wow. And so there was, cause I haven't really tagged him yet or anything like that. And I asked him, I was like, is there a point at which you want me to tag you? Like what's the, cause it's really been my own choice. I don't think he really cares. He's like, yeah, like you can. You can you can tag me if you want, but like I'm also I'm like I don't even know if I want to do that. What do you think would happen? Justin says he, he gets followers. Yeah. Oh, He's he like, would definitely get followers. I mean, <laughs> I mean, which doesn't bother me. Since 2016, but like, totally. yeah, Justin says he gets followers that are fans. He's like, every single person I follow is someone you follow. And every yeah. single person that follows me is either a fan or one of your friends. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I am like, we're very like open about most things. So there's just like a couple things that I want to keep not as public, I mm-hmm. guess. I don't know. I'm figuring it out, y'all. 
Yeah. We'll see. In real time. In real time. We're really excited about what's coming up for Almost 30. We have our retreats on deck. The first is in Austin, and this is really like a girls weekend. It's like a really fun, relaxing retreat. There's going to be yoga. There's going to be plant-based food. There's going to be this really special art therapy workshop. We're going to go to Barton Springs and hang. The house is insane. The house is beautiful. It's going to be like your dream sleepover you know? <laughs> and we just, you know, we, the intention here was to bring members of our community together. We were inspired by the ambassador program and have opened it up to, to other members of the community as well. It's just, it's really exciting for us. I, I really love those, those opportunities where we can connect intimately with the girls. So that is happening at the beginning of April, April 2nd to the 5th. Yep. And just DM us on Almost 30 Podcast or email events at almost30podcast.com. We just have a process for that one because we Mm want to make sure that all the girls feel safe and good. So Mm -hmm. email us events at almost30podcast.com to join or just DM us and we can hook you up with information. And anyone that is local in Texas, maybe Houston or Dallas, and you want to drive in for the day, we also have opportunity for you guys to join us for one of the days. So all of our Austin fam, we are so excited about this girls weekend. Austin is my favorite city. So it is going to be a blast. A blast. And then we have our Malibu retreat. So oh, yes. annually we have a beautiful retreat in Malibu at Colomigo's Guest Ranch. And this is going to be a 360 holistic wellness experience. Mind, body, spirit will be taken care of. Not only will you just get time to relax in paradise. It's going to be a beautiful time of year in Malibu, but there will also be um, experiences like energy healing and astrology workshop. And oh my God, we have like the most insane lineup. Yeah. Nutrition workshop with Kimberly Snyder. We have Natalie ben- Natalia Benson for astrology. We have you know, Alexandra Roxo for really an embodiment moment. I'm really excited about that one. Milana Snow, all mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. Make sure to check out almost30podcast.com slash retreat for more information there. And I wanted to read this lovely testimonial from our last year's retreat from Lindsay. Powerful is exactly how I felt after the Almost 30 podcast retreat. There's something so beautiful that occurs when women come together in all their vulnerability, opening their hearts and souls. Quickly, all of our walls came down and we shared what we were struggling with. I realized literally no one has this life figured out and that no one is living in this perfect reality. I feel power and the compassion I have for all the ladies on this retreat. Thank you to the Almost 30 team that made our experience literal magic. I want to read another one because I just fucking love these. from Amy. I love Amy. The Almost 30 retreat was truly a life-changing experience for me. I want to say a massive thank you to all the amazing ladies who worked on the retreat to Lindsay and Krista for hosting, to the lovely ladies who ran sessions, and to the other 23 attendees who were so open, real, raw, and inviting. I truly feel lucky to have experienced these four days with all of you. So please make sure to check out our retreat. We would love to have you. It is going to be amazing. Yeah. All right. On today's podcast, we have our dear friend, Max Lugavere. Max. Max Lugavere. The best voice in the game. One of my faves. Truly. <laughs> Truly. A good voice. Butter, butter. Butter, butter. Uh, we first had Max on the podcast when his book, Genius Foods, came out, which is a New York Times best selling book. And this was really focusing on becoming smarter, happier, and more productive while protecting your brain for life. It was inspired by his experience with watching his mom suffer through dementia and 
you know, he's continues to be so open and vulnerable about like that experience. And unfortunately his mom passed away, uh, within the last year. And so we do, we do go into that, but he has a new book out today. It is the genius life. And, um, so proud of Max for just, doing the work for the masses. Like he really uses his work as a deep dive and an experimentation to find the true information for optimizing our health, optimizing our life, our relationships, and just our experience. So I just love Max. He is a wealth of information. Yeah. He's a joy to talk to. We have so much fun. He's just a friend of the pod and him opening up about um, his mother's passing was really touching. You know, the first time we met him, she was alive and, you know, seeing him through that journey as a leader in the health and wellness space. And especially as like a man, just being very heart open and heart centered and honest about his loss was so touching. And it is such a beautiful thing that the legacy of his mother has created this beautiful brand, genius foods, genius life, you know, all things related to like supporting people in their journey so that they can be well, be cognitively, you know, functioning at a high level, feel healthy, feel supported and all of those things. So um, dear Max, thank you for coming. I loved that in this interview, we applied a lot of the genius foods principles to our daily lives. So it's very actionable in that way. Yeah. We talk about everything from nutrition to female hormones. We talk about, you know, biohacking every part of your life. So it is one that you will definitely want a notebook for and might listen to a couple times. But again, his book, uh, The Genius Life is out today, so you can get it on Amazon, and you can find more information about Max at maxlugavere.com, L-U-G-A-V-E-R-E.com. So enjoy this one. Share it with your friends, family, anyone you think who would love this type of content. It means the world to us. Follow us on Instagram at almost30podcast. I'm at Lindsay Simsick. And I'm at It's Krista. We love you guys. Enjoy this one. We love you. Goodbye. So glad to have Max Lukavir back in the house. I mean, what was it? In the a year new and a half ago? Yeah, something like that. Feels like you were just five. a babe. Just a just a wee. You're just a wee babe. <laughs> yeah. I think you had just launched the book. I think so, yeah. Or it was soon after. But um I just knew when I met you guys, like I know. You were you were the shit. It was fate. <laughs> it was fate. <laughs> yeah, and I remember this is what my favorite memory of it was guessing the genius foods. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> We were like, okay, can we guess the genius foods? And you're like, sure, being so nice. And we were like, walnuts, salmon. And we just sat there and guessed all the genius foods, our poor listeners. It was He's like, I guess this but is you were what surprised. we do with almost. You were like, actually, you're doing good. Yeah, it was clear that you'd read a, a listicle or two. 100%. About, about we just memorized food. yours. Yeah. You know, honestly, I was like, uh, walnuts? <laughs> you, you were, it was impressive. It Has was that impressive. list changed at all? No, or is that a tried and true? No, Good tried one. and true. Yeah, okay. people, I mean, I guess like the cool thing about having put out a book and then there having been some time since the release, like I've gotten messages from thousands of people all around the world at this point, I'm not even joking, that have, you know, experienced pretty profound changes to their cognition, their body composition, things like that. Um, and it's not, I mean, it's not rocket science. It's like, you know, I think when, if you if you were to go to like your average bookstore and pick up any diet book, I mean, most people, if they stick to that diet, 
uh, I'm going to bet they're going to see improvements in their health, right? Because I mean, there's no there's no diet book, you know, at your local bookstore that's that's recommending adding processed foods or unhealthy junk to your diet. It's all like they're all kind of processes of ex- of exclusion. But I think the thing that's cool about like my approach is that it's not doing gloom. It's not kind of just like it's more about what you should be eating. And uh, and integrating into your diet, you know, foods that are gonna that are gonna give your brain and body the nutrients that it needs to perform optimally. I think people at this point know that added sugars are not great for you. They, uh, you know, they know that processed foods are not good for you. There's like the it's not the information is out there. It's yeah. about how do you motivate people to actually make a change in their lives. So yeah, I guess what it, what would be your theory on the disconnect? The reason for the disconnect between the knowledge and education of the information and the actual applicability of it? Oh man, such a good question. I think, you know, it's, it's partly just kind of the world that we live in. And that's the theme of the new book, The Genius Life, that we're just like, we're inundated from every conceivable angle with um, forces larger than ourselves that, that are constantly sort of asking us to make the wrong decisions, you know, to stay up later than we need to, to eat, to make food choices that are not in the best interests of our biology, to become sort of fixated and focused on things that are not all that important to our day-to-day functioning. And yet they're presented as if they're something that we need to know and be concerned about, you know, and that's how sort of like news media uh, operates. And that's also how social media algorithms operate. So I think you've got to kind of arm yourself and it's, you know, I, I like to use that language of, of that sort of like battle oriented language because it literally is a battle today to attain your best biology and your best health and to feel great. You know, if you take food, for example, it's our proximity to ultra processed foods on a near constant basis, foods that are marketed so that they, you know, they're appealing, you know, the, the marketing tends to make health claims when in reality, if you go to your, you know, your, your supermarket, the healthiest foods that you're going to find don't make any health claims. And so, yeah, it's like... So true. It's mm-hmm. a good one about that. Yeah. Right? Like you're not Avocados gonna, don't say anything. Yeah. That. They don't. Like, eat me. I'm good fat. <laughs> I know, honestly. <laughs> exactly. And the irony is that the foods that, that tend to make the most health claims or the most outlandish health claims are the least healthy. For What's you. an example of that? Man, I mean, just, you know, just walk through the cereal aisle yeah. or like the bread aisle, you know, like... Salt-free, low salt, low fat, low cholesterol. Salt-free is my favorite. It's almost like removing the salt and making your food more bland. It makes up for the fact that these manufacturers have created them using these like mutated pulverized grains and thrown in unhealthy industrial oils like canola oil and corn oil and soybean oil. And and yet the Red Heart Healthy logo, the salt-free vibe is going to make you think, oh my God, this is like actually good for my heart health when when the reality is it's probably anything but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you won't see a heart healthy logo on an avocado. You won't see it on an egg. You won't see it on a piece of grass-fed beef or wild salmon. Is that a government organization? Like, a, It's probably like subsidized by the government wherein they want to like, and then you know how the government subsidizes like the grain industry and the corn industry. So like they're in cahoots together so that it promotes it because it's already in the same family. Yeah. I mean, these, these companies that produce these processed foods have such might when it comes to like their lobbying power. Um, I mean, 90% of the planted landmass in the U S is dedicated to growing like wheat, corn, and soy. 
And uh, if you look at the any of these organizations, like the American Heart Association, I mean, the American Heart Association was essentially this like tiny little professional organization up until I believe it was the 1960s when Procter and Gamble basically gave them their first huge infusion of money. It was a million dollars back then, which today would be a lot more than that. Right. And it turned this this little professional organization that basically had no. Uh, you know, the public wasn't aware of the American Heart Association, but suddenly it became this major iconic thing that we, you know, we, we aspire all of our food to be approved by the American Heart Association. Meanwhile, it was funded initially by this company that was producing vegetable oils and, and things like that, which we know are, are not good for our cardiovascular system. Also breast cancer and dairy. Yeah. Breast cancer. I mean, any of these organizations. Yeah. The breast cancer organization with like dairy and like Yoplait yogurt having the lids for Susan G. Komen, like that kind of thing is very interesting. Yeah. Because they have the money, they have the money and the, you know, I mean, we're seeing now this, uh, I mean, to make it relevant to what we're seeing now a lot on social media, there's this push towards like plant-based diets. Boo, losers. (laughs) I don't, I mean, I'm not a fan. I'm not, if you, if you (laughs) are an ethical vegan, you you are not a fan, or you are. I'm a fan. an ethical vegan. You're an ethical vegan. <laughs> no, yeah, I have nothing against ethical, ethical vegans. In fact, um, you know, I love animals, and my That's mother. That's your new title. I love that. Ethical vegan. <laughs> We've never said that before. Yeah, I'm an EV. <laughs> I love it. It's it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of money to be made selling plant-based foods. I mean, if you look through, Mm -hmm. you know, the aisles of your supermarket, the vast majority of junk foods are plant-based. I mean, an Oreo cookie is plant-based. Pop-Tarts are plant-based. I mean, but that's not, they're not marketed as plant-based. No, they're not. (laughs) So that's not. They're not, but the companies that make these products have a lot to gain by the promotion Mm. of the, you know, that foods that are made with plants and that are, that exclude animal products are going to be better for you because they, the profit margins are massive. They're massive, but they're not like Oreos aren't promoting themselves as plant-based. They're not. So, you know, I agree with you. I agree. There's a lot of money to be made, but I would say that there's actually more money to be made in the animal, animal agricultural industry you know, for the profit margins there are just insane for like the lives of animals. And I, you know, I, I'm not strongly speaking to anything. I'm, I'm open to everything, but I just would, I would say the opposite. I think the opportunity is now increased with the plant-based space with Beyond Meat and those. I think there now is more economic recognition of the opportunity for plant-based companies in even by, you know, companies like Monsanto and uh, Cargill who are investing in them. But I just, I, I don't, I don't, I'm thinking about what you're saying. Yeah. And it's like the labels are interesting. So it's like oh, brands yeah. that are taking advantage of trends. So right now it yes. feels like plant-based and they're like slapping that on, you know, whether it's like a bag of chips that like use, you know, whatever oil that's not good for us. And it's like using those labels and also targeting people who might not be educated around what is actually in the foods and they just see the label and they're like, oh, it's plant place. Okay, yeah. I'm going to get that and eat the whole bag. I guess everything on the earth, if we take the word plant-based, is plant-based. Animals eat plants. Every single thing technically comes from a plant. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not against plants at all. I mean, I'm not a, I'm, you know, not a carnivore or any of these crazy people who are like plants are bad for you. Like I'm a huge advocate. You can stay. Yeah. No, I'm a, I, 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 I love, you know, produce vegetables, things like that. And yes, there's money to be made with animal agriculture. And, and, you know, I don't, I'm not a fan of, of the factory farming system, both for animals, but also for agriculture, yeah. for grains and, 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 you know, monocropping and things like that. Like, uh, those are not 
I don't think a, a sustainable solution either, but all these like Nabisco, Pepsi, like I'm not saying that they're marketing themselves as being healthy, but there's just, you know, there's a, there's tremendous profit margin, especially when you realize that like the government is also subsidizing these, these grain products and things like that. And Completely so agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Completely I kinda, agree. I just, and a lot of those grains are for animals. I will have to say most of the grains are used for factory farming. Yeah. I was watching it. There was an, there's an amazing documentary that people should check out. It's called wasted. And it was, oh, cool. yeah, it was uh, all about how much food waste there is and how, you know, a lot of these crops, Actually, 90% of food scraps end up in landfills. So there's like this huge distribution problem. A lot of the grains and and things like that, yes, do go to feed animals. But actually, like if you think about soy, these animals are not eating soybeans. They're eating soy cakes, which are a byproduct of the manufacturing of soybean oil, which is actually a very unhealthy oil that's fed to humans. It's like the primary oil consumed today. And so the byproduct of making soybean oil, you get these like really dry soy cakes that no human being is going to want to eat. So it's not like... It's not like animals are being fed or cows rather are being fed edamame and brown rice. No. You know, they're being fed the byproducts of what is what is, you know, what come from the manufacturing of these ultra processed foods that are then used to create mm. that are used to create the, you know, the processed foods that line our supermarket aisles. But if you were to actually look at food waste, which is a huge contributor to global warming, actually all these food scraps that end up in the landfills that get fermented by the bacteria, which release huge amounts of methane into the atmosphere. And your average home, your average American family wastes about $1,500 worth of groceries every year. And you could take all of that, you know, all of that food waste and you could essentially feed that to the animals, which animals are amazing because of their ability to upcycle junk food. Basically, I'm not saying mm. that we should, we should be feeding animals yeah. junk food, but it is amazing that they can upcycle junk food and waste to create such incredibly valuable nutrition like protein, right? So yeah, the notion that like, you know, we're growing all this corn and soy and whatever, and it's just going to feed these animals. It's a bit, it's, it's a lot more, I think, nuanced and complicated than any, even me, than any of us really know. So what I've determined to be sort of like the, the best way to eat for individual health, as well as environmental health, I think you gotta, you know, if you're able to vote with your wallet and support you know, small farms that integrate regenerative practices into the way that they, into the way that they farm. I think that's the way to, to do it for sure. Yeah. And to, you know, not waste food. I see, I see the grocery store. It's called Luke Averes. <laughs> I know. Honestly. Yeah, honestly. You're one, com- you're one competitor. Is, truly. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm into I'm into this topic and I it's it's super complex and like mm-hmm, the more yeah. I learn the less I realize I know and so it just sends mm-hmm. I get, I end up falling down like these these I you know it's like just a constant rabbit hole to go down and that's my whole life every yeah. single part of my whole life is like a rabbit hole it's like well this is true and it's like well is it true is yeah. it just your perspective is it something that I don't know you know which is why it's fun to talk about stuff like this um, to kind of like close the loop on on the nutrition thing, like are there, because every year I feel like we see these trends coming in, are there any trends that you see and you're like, ooh, either that's not good for human beings or they're being told lies through the marketing of the certain trend or it's hurting the environment? What is, uh, what's on your radar? Yeah, man. I mean, I think... Um there's like where to even begin. I mean, I guess one one thing that I see a lot in my community. So I was saying that you know I don't I don't necessarily think that a, a plant based diet is an optimal diet, but I also see a lot of people that are you know adopting these keto diets that are just hardcore like 
butter and heavy cheese and bacon and things like that and just adding fat like you know just overindulging on like added fats and oils and things like that and i think that's kind of a that's a misguided approach as well um you know i'm super happy that uh that now that the fat phobia of the past few decades is sort of behind us the pendulum has kind of swung in the other direction now where people are adopting these unnecessarily high fat diets um and i think it's important that people realize that oils you know there are very unhealthy oils there are also very healthy oils like extra virgin olive oil but for any oil for any you know isolated fat whether it's butter ghee extra virgin olive oil all all healthy oils they're still like calorie dense and nutrient poor foods and so i'm not a big advocate of like you know a high fat diet necessarily um you know the diet that i actually i've i've sort of refined my dietary approach in the genius life and it's really actually a diet that prioritizes protein which i think is super important protein is something that doesn't really get the love that it deserves outside of the fitness community but for most people i think protein is a crucial thing to prioritize at every meal because it's the most satiating macronutrient we have this there's this idea it's called the protein leverage hypothesis which i think is super interesting that our hunger mechanisms are driven largely by our requirement for amino acids because protein is pretty hard to find in uh you know plants generally i mean you can definitely find you know you can get adequate protein on a plant-based diet but it requires you know chasing an animal and, and you know taking down an animal if you're a, a hunter gatherer and so prioritizing protein it's super satiating very few people are are likely to overindulge on chicken or fish or things like that just because it's so it's so satiating satiating and it's also crucially important to um building and maintaining muscle mass which whether you're a male or a female or you're a teenager or you're an 80 year old i think you know building and maintaining lean mass should be a priority for your exercise routine no matter what just because you know having more muscle on your body uh, no matter what age it means greater mobility um probably better hormone health you know greater insulin sensitivity and things like that and and protein is the macronutrient that is is important to like to maintaining you know muscle growth and muscle maintenance there's a, a, a metabolic advantage to consuming more protein so most people i think what your listeners are probably um you know they know enough about nutrition to know that fat has nine calories per gram carbs and protein have four calories per gram i actually didn't I know, know that you didn't know that <laughs> yeah honestly really? there you go oh yeah. interesting yeah, so, I don't think many people know. There that. you go, gals. Yeah, I mean, so that's generally if you have a gram of fat, that's going to be nine calories. If you have, you know, a gram of carbs or a gram of protein, you each have four grams of calories. That's pretty like well accepted to be true. But actually, when you when you look at how protein, so that's before you consume it. But actually, after you consume protein, your body expends energy to break down those amino acids, mm. and so protein has a, a bit of a metabolic advantage in that a gram of protein is actually going to be like thirty percent of the protein that you consume burns itself off. So it's actually three calories per gram. Wow. So fewer calories per gram of protein. Wow. I do, I've been, I've moved back to having more protein, especially in the morning. I, for a while there just wasn't tracking it. You know, it's just kind of living my life. And I, I feel so much more satiated, you know, when I have protein in the morning and I just really like, cause I think I was kind of attaching to the keto thought for a while, which wasn't completely keto. Obviously it was felt too restrictive for me being plant-based, but I was having a lot more fat, which was very satiating, but I do love the way I feel when I have more protein rather than more fat, but that's yeah. personal for me. Yeah. Well, the thing is people who under consume protein tend to compensate by eating more carbs and fat. Yeah. And when you 
eat more protein, you're going to eat less carbs and fat. And carbs and fat are, you know, I mean, we have no essential like carbohydrate requirement. You know, certainly carbs are can be beneficial if you're on a workout routine, which you should be on. And, you know, I'm not here to demonize carbs or anything like that, but you don't even need to eat that much fat. I mean, you know, get as much fat as you need to satiate your requirements for omega threes and so that you feel good. And that's, and so that your food is tasty and delicious, but, but yeah, protein is like essential, you know, and you're also going to eat less carbs and fat, which is basically just pure energy. Whereas protein is, you know, it's, it's required for the maintenance of, you know, as I mentioned, your body's lean mass protein provides amino acids, which serve as the backbones of your, you know, brain's neurotransmitters. So serotonin, dopamine, things like that require amino acids, you know, so just protein is like crucial. And then when we look at high protein foods, they tend to be very nutrient dense. So whether it's fish or grass-fed beef or chicken, or, you know, for my plant-based peeps in the audience, you know, like even legumes, you know, great source of fiber and things like that. So, yeah. So when you're sourcing meat in particular, whether it's fish or beef or chicken, we see grass-fed, we see organic, we see, you know, all these labels. So I want to make sure, you know, people out there know kind of what to look for when they are consuming animal protein. Yeah, for sure. Um, It's an important question. Um, So generally with beef, it's grass-fed. I don't really care if it's organic or not. It doesn't make a huge difference. What the cow eats, you know, whether whether it's grass or whether it's corn, or, you know, other junk foods that they tend to feed feedlot cows, what a cow eats in a major way dictates the healthiness, healthiness of its fat. Mm. That's not the case for uh, pork, for example. So pigs are, you know, scavengers, they'll eat whatever. It doesn't, I mean, you obviously want to have a pig that's, that was raised healthily um, and things like that, but it doesn't sort of dictate the fatty acid constituents uh, of, of, of a pig's fat the way that it does beef. So beef, primarily you want 100% uh, grass-fed or grass-fed, grass-finished. And as I mentioned, that dictates the healthiness of the fat. So it's less of an issue if the meat that you're consuming is lean. So for people who, you know, for whom grass-fed is not an option, whether it's access or budget, you know, you can opt for leaner cuts and then you're fine. So for example, if I were going to eat a burger, you know, which is a fatty, you know, uh, it's ground beef, you know, it tends to be about 15 to 20% fat it's crucial for me that I'm eating a grass-fed burger. Um, if I were eating a lean cut of, you know, of like a steak, for example, like a filet mignon, say I was like at a restaurant, and I got like a filet mignon. Because that means lean, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't matter whether or not it's grass-fed as much. So that's sort of a, just like a good rule of thumb. With chicken, you want free range generally. Free range is important. You want that chicken to be able to like forage and eat the bugs and things that chickens eat. Um, and... Yeah, with pigs, you know, just pasture raised, uh, pretty important. The organic thing doesn't doesn't matter so much with um, with animal stuff. Although, you know, there is there is some thinking that it's you know organic is going to be better for the environment and stuff like that. And for fish, sorry, last thing, um, wild or like what? Yeah, what is the like? I know there's farm raised, but then there's like there was a label on a fish I saw the other day and I was like, Oh wait, farm raised, but also something. So is that better? You know, like, is there anything around farming that could be good? Yeah. Um, with, with animal agriculture, it's just, it's super tricky. Um, you know, with fish, it's always going to be better to, to have it wild yeah. just because if you think about the way that fish are farmed, they, they're in these like really confined areas. So often prophylactically they're fed antibiotics to prevent infections from spreading and things like that. And they're fed processed fish meal, which often includes other fish, 
And so there's this bioaccumulation effect where they can accumulate mercury and other heavy metals. Uh, there's some research showing us that um, farmed fish contain, you know, very high levels of environmental uh, like toxins, pollutants, like um, uh, brominated flame retardants and things like that, which we know <laughs> yeah, act as endocrine disruptors. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. Um, but you know, with any of these things, like the dose makes the poison. So I try to walk that fine line between, um, you know informing like my audience, but also not, not fear mongering. And if you're at a restaurant and you eat a piece of grilled fish, you know, which we know is going to be primarily, you know, farm raised, it's not going to be the end of the world. Um, it's about what you eat on a day-to-day basis. You know, it's about like the kinds of foods that you're bringing on a chronic basis into your home, for example. Um, but generally, yeah, wild fish is going to be, is going to be way, way better for you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the fish are like little filters in the world when they're just getting all of that, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. I wanted to talk a little bit about like rest and mobility. It's been refreshing within our community and conversations we've been having about the increased awareness about rest and mobility. And so I want to just talk about like your routine, your thoughts around around those two things. I know they're different, but and how you integrate those in your life. Yeah, rest is super important. You know, it's when our, we're giving our ner- nervous systems a break. Uh, today I feel like there's this, we romanticize this always on approach to, to our work. And, uh, you know, even when we're resting, are we really resting when we're refreshing our social media feeds and, yes. you know, like we're checking Twitter right. and, and reading the news and things like that. So yeah, I mean, resting is a, is a big part of the equation. There's a, there's an idea that I advance in, uh, the genius life, which was really cool to me. I hadn't heard about it before I began researching the book, but it's this concept of allostatic load. Yeah. It's a really cool, it's a really cool concept. So see, a lot of people have heard of homeostasis, which is balance essentially like, you know, at any given moment, an organism, you know, your body is trying to maintain balance, which is homeostasis and any kind of stimuli that is going to sway your body from that, whether you're sitting in, in your beautiful sauna or, uh, you know, exercising or, or underslept or whatever, you're, you're basically being pulled out of that balance. And the steps that your body has to take to get back to balance is called allostasis. And so everybody at any given time has, a, has a, an allostatic load, essentially, which is your body, the sum uh, total effort that your body has to take to bring you back to that midline, to that, to, that, to that sense of balance. The problem is a lot of people today, whether it's chronic stress, not resting, you know, not building rest into their day um, you know, to an appropriate degree, um, being underslept, drinking too much coffee, which can stimulate your body's stress pathways. Yeah, sorry, is allotosis, would that be, is allotosis expressed by a hormone response in the body? It's basically, yeah. I mean, it's it's your neurotransmitters, it's your hormones, it's it's everything. Okay. It's like, it's basically you know the sum effort, you know the cumulative effort that your body to get has you to back take to homeostasis. To, yeah, got it, got it. to get you back to homeostasis. And what burnout is is allostatic overload. And this is a term like taken from the medical literature that if you are basically running, you know, f- you know, floor to the uh, pedal to the floor. Um, burning the midnight oil, not giving your body adequate time to rest and recover and, and rejuvenate, and supplying your body with the the nutrients and and you know vitamins and minerals and things that it needs, even protein. I would put in in that category. You reach a tipping point where suddenly your allostatic load becomes allostatic overload. And to me, the way that I visualize it, it's sort of like a cup. You know, 
Think about like a glass. Now, your glass at any given time should be empty so that you can throw in things like coffee or high-intensity exercise or dip in the sauna. And you can sort of use these things for the hormetic effect that they're going to have on your body, meaning that they're stressors that actually are going to make your body stronger. But I think a lot of people today are functioning you know, in a state where the glass is already sort of half full so that by the time you throw in, you know, the fight that you just had with your significant other or the project that, you know, you wait until the last minute to complete or, you know, that extra cup of coffee that you like to throw in in the middle of the afternoon, suddenly because your cup, your glass is already half full, that, that new, you know, additional load that you're throwing into the mix is going to become overload. And so I think becoming conscious of that is, uh, is, is crucial for every person to kind of like look at where their baseline is and to uh, do what they can to kind of strip away all the excess stuff and to add in things that are going to that are going to help empty out that glass. So, you know, optimizing your sleep or resting more um, and rest, you know, can mean different things for different people. Um, you know, meditation, I think, is great. It's kind of a for me, an ideal. I don't have like a regular meditation practice. But yeah, it's like rest is rest is an important part of the equation. I love that analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot That's of sense. That's a good to analogy. Mm-hmm. Simple. But I feel that sense. expressed <laughs> in this week. It's like a reaction to something occurred, and I was, and I think that's the cup analogy. My cup was already full, so when something happens that is like throwing myself off kilter or like adding to the cup when it's already full, produces a reaction that like is not ideal if my cup was empty. You know, if my cup was empty, my reaction to the situation would have been more low key. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other thing. It's like, you know, we become these reactive. You're like, that's a mental health issue. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but, but there's like some pretty good neuroscience on why people, why some of us can be so inclined to be that reactive and that testy, you know, yeah. and, and that on edge um, and irritable. Irritability, I think, is not it's not like something that's hardwired into your personality. You know, if you're, if you're chronically irritable, it's probably, there's probably a good chance that you're underslept and that by fixing your sleeping problems or by looking at these other areas of your, of your life where you can empty out that glass, you're going to be a lot more pleasurable to be around. You know, I think meditation is really great as a, and you know, I, I say this as somebody who has not yet found the discipline to meditate every single day, but I've been trained and I, you know, I've read up on the neuroscience of meditation and I think that's the wonderful thing about meditation and why I think everybody should know how to do it because meditation allows you a little bit of a breathing room between the stimulus and the reaction. You know, it allows you that space to, um, to sort of react to something, uh, even if it's a stressful, um, stimulus in a way that is not just like animal, you know, fangs coming out, you know, kind of, kind of situation, which I think so many of us find ourselves in when we're underslept, when there's like, you know, when, when we live lives with, without, uh, integrating, you know, adequate rest and things like that. Yeah. I mean, speaking of rest, I think, you know, sleep is such a huge topic. I mean, we, we've been really interested in light hygiene and, and all of that. So I'd love to kind of dig in there around optimizing your sleep, because I think, um, there might be some factors that are affecting people's sleep that they don't know. So I'd love to just kind of cover all of that if we're talking about like a nighttime routine that would optimize it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, getting good sleep begins the, the morning of. So, I mean, I think it's important for everybody to spend at least a half an hour um, having their eyes exposed to daylight. Um, and it doesn't have to be like, you know, bright sunlight or anything. Like just the light, the ambient light that you get from the sky on an overcast day is sufficient 
to essentially anchor your body's circadian rhythm, which dictates many aspects of how your biology responds to its environment, but that also includes how and when it winds down for sleep. It's kind of cool, this this idea of circadian biology. We have these proteins in our eye called melanopsin proteins, which interface with a region in the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. So you don't have to like remember that, but this little region, it's about half the size of a chocolate chip, and it's located in the hypothalamus, which is kind of where like all of our most uh, rudimentary drives for survival and reproduction sort of come from in the brain. It controls metabolism and things like that. And so that, that is to say that this is like hardwired into you know, nearly every aspect of our biology, this like interface that we have with light. And, uh, and you need about, so it's not, it's not a super sensitive protein. Um, it's only sensitive to like daylight. And it becomes activated when we expose ourselves to an intensity that's about like what you would get on an overcast day, which is about a thousand lux. Lux are a measure of, uh, of light intensity. And so by getting that, that you know, 1,000 lux of light, which again, like an overcast day standing by your window, it sets off this 24-hour timer, which dictates everything from you know, focus uh, you know, and, and processes that support energy, like metabolism and things like that. You know, so that we can go about our day, but it also dictates when the hormone melatonin starts to be released um, in the brain as well. And melatonin is a hormone that you know I think people are familiar with. It helps us get to sleep. It's not just a sleep hormone. Actually, melatonin is crucially important for cancer prevention and anti-aging. It's sort of a gatekeeper to a process called uh, autophagy, which is when cells begin to clean house. And this is all regulated in part by melatonin. So you know, melatonin. It's important for sleep, but it's also uh, part of what helps you know rejuvenate our bodies and those, that kind of restoration that we associate with getting a good night's sleep, right? Um, so that's like to get good sleep. I think it's important to to start to to have good like morning light hygiene, as you mentioned. I thought that was a great uh, great term that you used. And then later on in the day, I think it becomes important to not perturb that melatonin secretion. I think it's a, it's so easy for us these days to you know, engage with our devices, whether it's a TV or, you know, an iPad or, or, you know, or, or our iPhone, because, you know, often these devices emit light that is bright enough to set off those same proteins in our eyes that we actually want to activate earlier on in the day. You know, a thousand lux of light, that's pretty bright light where, you know, a hunter gatherer exposed to a campfire or moonlight or, you know, stars in the sky, none of those light sources are going to reach a thousand lux. But today, because of modern, you know, artificial light, you can easily walk into a CVS, you know, or a, or a Whole Foods or whatever. And the light coming from the, from the artificial lighting in those, in those environments are going to reach a thousand lux. And that, what that does is it essentially tricks your brain into thinking that it's daytime. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that'll mess up your sleep like nothing else. Uh, and it'll also reduce uh, the expression of melatonin, which, you know, as I mentioned, is important not just for sleeping, but for like for general health as well. Um, in fact, it was recently recently discovered that melatonin stimulates uh, brown fat, which is you know uh, a type of fat. It's not the kind of fat that 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 we want to lose. Actually, brown fat we should want to cultivate more of it. It's you know only located in a, in a handful of places in the body, but brown fat actually burns white fat, which is the kind of fat that like, you know, accumulates around our waists and our, and our thighs and our, on our butts and things like that. And so, uh, and it burns calories and it, you know, it encourages metabolic health and things like that. So actually by 
suppressing melatonin production later in the day with by exposing our, our eyes to artificial bright light, that's like a new axis by which you know the modern world and specifically artificial lighting could be making us fat. You know, it's sort of early days for that kind of research. Uh, you know, and and further study I think is definitely warranted. But super interesting. So keeping you know keeping the bright light out of your face um, later on in the uh, in the evening crucially important. Making sure that your bedroom is dark. There's now um, studies that is that that are coming out showing us that you know even sort of. Uh, dim light while we're sleeping can enter in through our eyelids and can affect next day cognitive function. So making sure that your room is like really dark, um, critically important. So blackout curtains or even, you know, taking some black tape to, uh, to cover light leaks in your room could be, could be helpful. And then finally, I think temperature, uh, is one of those, is another one of those like low hanging fruit, making sure that your bedroom is cool. You know, the body, body temperature naturally drops when we sleep. But we can sort of encourage that by keeping a cooler bedroom or even taking a warm shower before we go to sleep. Because the warm shower, even though that's kind of counterintuitive, like if our bodies want to be cool, why would we you know, take, take a shower when that's actually warm? But it's actually the drop in temperature once we get out of the shower that sort of acts, I don't know, to, to trick our bodies into thinking that, you know, that uh, sleep is imminent. Yeah. Um, and there's like, I offer a bunch of other tips in the book, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, generally those are, that's like the low hanging fruit. And you know, that light in the morning is, it's, uh, I, I feel, I feel like there are studies, um, you know, when you try to do what I do and like become like a walking meta analysis yeah. for all this research, there's like just so many things that you, uh, that it becomes like a soup in your brain, but there's definitely research that has found, um, that, you know, with early morning light exposure, you actually have an earlier release of melatonin in your brain. So that can help people get to sleep earlier and the like. Mm. We had Andy Mant from Blue Blocks on, and he was super knowledgeable about that. And it just reminded me of a lot of the the light that we talked about, a lot of the light hygiene. And um, we have our sleep masks, which from Blue Blocks, which is amazing, which I sleep in. That really helps to keep it black. Nope. It's interesting, and I'm just this is just a thing that I wanted to explore: white fat versus brown fat. So I think. Additionally, hot cold therapy also increases brown fat, correct? So it's like I, I've heard that cryotherapy and like ice baths also increases brown fat. But like those terms, like what does that mean? Like how would a fat, fat be brown and white? Yeah, it just appears more brown. And I think really? it's because there's more, there's mitochondria. Oh, so they function differently. Yeah, they function differently. Wow. It's almost like the white fat's like a, a inflammation type of fat. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, fat is a, you know, adipose tissue is an endocrine organ, actually. It secretes hormones and things like that. But brown fat seems to be just purely beneficial. Right. Um, and where is it? It's located around your collarbone, the back of your neck, in your armpits, down, huh. up and down your spine. What's interesting is that they, for a long time, didn't believe that adults carried brown fat with them into adulthood. Oh, like it was baby fat. Baby, yeah, babies have a lot of brown fat. And the reason for that. So brown fat is actually there to help warm up our vital organs. It creates heat. So in doing so, it burns calories and it has all these, you know, amazing, you know, seemingly amazing metabolic effects. In an adult, you know, adults have means of uh, protecting themselves against cold. We can, you know, we can obviously change our environments. We can put on clothing and things like that. Um, we can also shiver. Babies can't actually shiver. So they have brown fat, which basically acts like an internal heating pad. And so for a while, it wasn't thought that adults carried this fat with them past uh, you know, infancy. But now we know that not only do adults uh, continue to, to carry brown fat with them, 
but we can actually encourage the proliferation of brown fat. And you know, brown fat increases or decreases in accordance with your needs for it. So as you mentioned, yeah, cold therapy is a great way to encourage the proliferation of this of this brown fat, which again burns fat. It's a great it's a great fat to have on your body. You can't really see it. It's not you know the kind of fat that you can pinch because yeah. in uh, relative terms, it's not nearly as concentrated on our bodies as white fat. Um, but having more is generally generally better, and it doesn't even take uh, you know like frigid temperatures to encourage it. Just being mildly cool has been shown to dramatically increase. Um, the amount of brown fat that we carry with us. And it also helps to acclimate us. So if you, you know, cold showers, I think are great for mental acuity and things like that, but obviously they're going to be kind of, uh, you know, unsettling to say the least for, you know, somebody who's not acclimated to them, but brown fat helps us acclimate to these like cooler temperatures. So the more you expose yourself to cooler temperatures or do cold plunges or take cold showers or things like that, which have, you know, a number, a number of other benefits, um, the easier they get. Yeah. Wow. Um, I just wanted to, on the melatonin piece, people that supplement melatonin or like, what are your thoughts on melatonin supplementation? Melatonin, it doesn't actually make you, I mean, it's not, it's not going to have a narcotic effect, but it can be useful, you know, for jet lag and things like that. You shouldn't take it if you're, if you're not like an adult. I had a neuroscientist, uh, on, on my podcast, his name is Andrew Huberman. And he, uh, I hadn't even heard this, but melatonin actually, um, is involved in, uh, puberty, like signaling, yeah. like the hormonal fluctuations that accompany uh, puberty. And so if you're a child, you really want to, or, or a teen or whatever, you want to be kind of careful with melatonin supplementation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it could be used as a, you know, to help with jet lag and things like that. You also want to take it at night. There have been studies that have shown that uh, daytime melatonin supplementation, not that anybody's going to supplement with, day, with melatonin in the daytime, um, but it can actually decrease insulin sensitivity and things like that, which makes sense actually, because, you know, you tend to be most insulin sensitive. And for those who don't know insulin sensitivity, it's like sort of a marker of metabolic health. Like if you're a type two diabetic, you're the opposite of insulin sensitive, you're insulin resistant. So we want to be insulin sensitive and there tends to be a, a circadian, um, meaning there tends to be like a 24 hour rhythm, you know, and we're most, uh, insulin sensitive in the daytime. And we tend to be less insulin sensitive at night. Uh, and that's because, you know, insulin is, is related to um, glucose utilization in the body, energy production and things like that. And so melatonin, when melatonin starts to um, be secreted later on in the day, it actually can negatively affect uh, insulin sensitivity. And that makes sense because, you know, as, as the day winds down, we're less energetic, we're, you know, we're not expected to be eating as much because, you know, we're diurnal creatures, we eat during the day. But they've shown that uh, when they give people, you know, the supplementary supplemental melatonin in the, day, in the daytime, that it actually can negatively affect uh, insulin sensitivity. So you just want to be careful when you're taking it, um, both in terms of time of day and you know where you are in your life. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk about toxins because I loved I loved in the book because some of these I had never heard of before, like things that I should be looking out for. So, like for example avoid using sous vide cooking, like all these things that could be like trendy and we're doing in the kitchen. So like you cook, you cook food in like this plastic bag and it's like, it's delicious. It makes like delicious things, but I'd love to learn more about these kind of, you know, not so obvious toxins that we could be exposing ourselves to 
whether it's, um, you know, if we have old containers you mentioned and uh, various fragrances, things like that. So I'd love to just kind of dig in there. Yeah, for sure. So there's a whole chapter that I go into on the most common sort of environmental toxins that we should be aware of and try to minimize our exposure to. So this isn't, again, not about fear mongering or anything like that. You know, unfortunately in the modern world, we're exposed on a day-to-day basis with any number of, you know, potentially dangerous compounds. But of course the dose makes the poison. So, you know, is any one of these enough to make you ill? Probably not. But the fact that the overall burden of toxicity, you know, for a modern human has become so high, I thought that it would be uh, really useful for readers to kind of become aware of the most common of them, where they lie, how to sort of, you know, uh, minimize your exposure to them and maybe even detox, you know, what you may have already accumulated. So, you know, plastic related compounds, I think is something that, you know, we can't avoid, you know, like I was traveling, uh, earlier this week and I, you know, I was thirsty. I bought, you know, water in a plastic bottle. You just can't like, as a, as a human being today, I think, you know, the, the ideal that you're going to be able to completely cut plastic out of your life is just, it's impractical. It's not going to happen. But that being said, I think it is very worthwhile to cut down on your exposure to um, plastic and and compounds made with plastic, especially when they come in contact with your food. So sous vide cooking is a, a great way of adding plastic to your food, actually, because, you know, if anybody is unfamiliar with this with this cooking method, sous vide basically means vacuum cooking. It's uh, with vacuum is, is the uh, translation. And you vacuum seal food in a plastic bag and then you and then you cook that plastic bag in water essentially and it's a great way to you know get your food cooked at a to a consistent temperature but we know that compounds that are used to make plastic these like petroleum based compounds are not inert they can mm. leach out of our plastic and into our food and plastic related compounds whether it's bisphenol A or BPA which i think more and more people are becoming aware of or phthalates these compounds uh, they actually may kind of, the thinking is that they might actually defy the rule of the dose makes the poison because they can act like endocrine disruptors in the body. They can affect your system of hormones, which guide everything from, you know, development to cognitive function, to sexual function, to risk for disease. And, um, and yeah, so, I mean, I, I advise people to cut down on plastics and things like that. And the problem is that these compounds that are used to make plastic act like the hormone estrogen in the body. Um, primarily, I mean, they might mimic other hormones as well, but they're pretty well documented. The xenoestrogen. They're xenoestrogens. Yes. Um, xeno means from outside, uh, and and estrogen is obviously the female um, sex hormone, um, primary female sex hormone. And yeah, what these uh, compounds can do is they can actually act like estrogen in the body, or they can block the receptors for estrogen in your cells, thus preventing estrogen from doing its job. Wow. I mean. BPA is sort of, you know, well-known at this point. It's, uh, you can now buy BPA-free bottles and things like that. But the problem is manufacturers, it's become a bit of a game of chemical whack-a-mole, you know, that where like, you know, a groundhog hops out and then you got to hit it and then another one pops out and you got to, that's the game. Well, that's sort of what the game has become in terms of our exposure to these chemicals because consumers become aware of a compound and then they freak out about it. And then to pacify, you know, the anxious consumer manufacturers will then put, you know, a a related compound in it, but that just goes by a different name. And the problem is there's no reason to believe that any of these replacement chemicals are safe. So now they're using BPS, you know, as a replacement for BPA. And so just generally speaking, the best thing to do is to cut down on your exposure to plastic and then to do things that are going to help your body 
kind of expunge uh, these chemicals. Um, and so, yeah, I talk about, uh, you know, BPA phthalates, which are used to make, so the way that you can kind of recognize the difference between the two phthalates usually make plastic soft and, um, BPA is there to make plastic hard. So if, you know, the interior linings of cans, reusable water bottles, generally they're going to be made with bisphenols like BPA and then phthalates are used in soft plastic. So any kind of plastic, you know, apparel or, uh, I don't know, bags and things like that, generally with phthalates, but they're not, these compounds are not excluded or not, uh, they're not isolated to those products. So phthalates are also used to make fragrances. So whenever you buy a, you know, household cleaning product or even a cosmetic and on the ingredients list, it says fragrance, the word fragrance can be used to represent hundreds of, of different mm-hmm. chemicals, many of which are phthalates. And so I think it's, I think it's worth avoiding products with synthetic fragrances um, for sure. That's not to say that you don't, you can't have fragrance things in your home. Just make sure that they come from essential oils, which, which derive from plants. BPA is not just in plastic. One of the most common routes of exposure for BPA is in store receipts. So very few people realize this, but, um, yes, the CBS, ultimate, yeah, the ultimate, get, those five feet long receipts. Mm-hmm. They're insane. <laughs> oh my God. They're insane. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So any receipt that you get from a store that you can, that, that is printed on heat sensitive paper, you can always tell because you could write on them with your fingernail. You can actually create. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are all just coated in BPA, which um, again, can act like an endocrine disruptor. Wow. And uh, you know, I mean, whether or not we like to admit it, humans, we touch things and then, you know, we, there's, we have a lot of hand to mouth behavior, you know, we're touching our face, you know, we're touching our lips and things like that. Uh, and these compounds can also enter through the skin. So it's a, it's a huge route of exposure to these kinds of compounds. And the, the really dangerous thing about um, endocrine disrupting chemicals is that, you know, in an adult, it might affect our libido. It might affect disease risk and things like that, which are not good things. But um, at least an adult can become sort of aware of these compounds and can wash their hands after touching you know, uh, products made with them and things like that. But in a child, endocrine disruption can have potentially lifelong effects. Wow. And yeah, so that's why you know, anybody with a family, anybody with a child who's touching these store receipts and then, and then, or allows their children to touch them or then will you know, touch a receipt and then hold their child's hand, you really want to make sure that uh, you know, your, your kids are you know, kept somewhat safe from these, from these compounds, for sure. It's a lot, you know, it's, uh, and, the, and the reality is like, you know, there are so many instances throughout history where products have been sort of foisted on people only later to be determined as, as, as harmful. I mean, you could look at asbestos, building insulation. Um, of baking soda with talc. Talc or aluminum. Or baby like powder. That. Yeah. Yeah, aluminum's a good one. Uh-huh. Also fluoride. Fluoride. Which is a perfect segue. That I yeah. want because I wanted to talk about fluoride. So I actually I, I understand that it's harmful, but I actually don't understand why. I mean, the issue is that fluoride can act like an endocrine disruptor, um, and I'm not just making this up. So, uh, and 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 also again, dose makes a poison. You know, there there have been a number of studies. It's not this is not like you know, oh my god, fluoride is like uh, it's not like fluoride is arsenic or something like that. But I think. There's an organization that I that I highlight. It's called the Endocrine Disruption Exchange, which is a science-based organization I think everybody should sort of be aware of. And their whole mission is to um, identify and then track uh, potential endocrine disruptors in our environment, both for individual health, but also for environmental health. And they're tracking 1,400 different chemicals that we're you know, potentially exposed to on a daily basis. And so 
you know, you can't possibly become aware of all 1400, but fluoride is one of the compounds that, you know, falls under their radar of, you know, it's, it can act as a potential endocrine disruptor. Now, fluoride can help uh, slow the progression of cavities. There's no doubt about that. So if you have developing teeth, if you're, if you're a child, if you're at high risk for cavity development, which, you know, no doubt children are because they're eating all kinds of like candy and sugar and things like that. Um, and today our diets, you know, are built around these grain products, which are not good for dental health, right? Um, refined grain products are no better than sugar in terms of the their ability to put us at risk for cavity development. So when you're eating that kind of diet, then you've got to kind of like use everything in your arsenal to prevent cavities. But if you're eating a diet that's better for your dental health, then I think you know the addition of fluoride in your toothpaste becomes something that you can probably live without. So I personally don't use uh, fluoride in my toothpaste. Love that. And that's in chapter five, Toxic World and yeah. the Genius Life. So there's, it's cool. In Toxic World, in the book, there's a lot of, it just goes through like a lot of endocrine disruptors. And a lot of toxins that, you know, we know about or have conversations about like mercury or fluoride, but then a lot of ones that I actually haven't heard of. Yeah, it's tricky. You know, I try to, I try to like make people aware of this stuff uh, without seeming like too alarmist or anything like that. But I think you do a good job of that. Thank you. Yeah. That's a, that's a hope. And also to make things kind of, um, you know, achievable for people because, you know, not everybody is going to want to throw out their furniture and get all furniture with flame retardant free organic like cotton and things like that. You know, I mean, and that's not even entirely necessary. But if you're just to, I think just to become aware of this stuff, you know, it's knowledge is power. And, and I think knowledge is also awareness is also the, the greatest, at least for me, the greatest motivator to behavior change. Like going back to like, you know, the fact that people have information, but there's there, they don't seem to act on it in a way that's commensurate with the amount of knowledge that's out there. Cause I think it's like, cause I, th- I think that there's, you can't just tell people what to do. You got to kind of like inform them as to why they should be doing it. You know, people aren't stupid. They want to know sort of, they want to have like a, you know, an impetus behind their, behind their actions. And so, yeah, that's what I, that's what I tried to achieve with that, with that chapter. Yeah. And how to relate it to their life. I think people want to know how specifically it's going to affect them. You know, yeah. like some, sometimes I feel like, you know, if people don't make the change, it's because it's like, well, it, it doesn't affect me. Like I'm, you know what I mean? There's like this, this gap between their experience and maybe the collective trend or alert about something. So you such a great job. Um, last question for me is what does Max Lugavere do when he's sick? Oh man, what a question. Uh, like a, like a that. more than a cold. Yeah. You I, know, like something where you're like, Oh, I'm sick. Yeah. Yeah. I just had a cold and I was, yeah, it, it, t- it took like 48 hours and then it was gone. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty bad, I mean, it was a head cold. Like it really didn't see, I didn't seem to have any symptoms below the neck, but um, yeah, I was just doing a lot of vitamin C, um, which I feel the research on vitamin C is equivocal. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think it, is all that useful once you finally have a cold, but I just had some around my house. So I was taking a lot of it. I think zinc could be, you know, potentially very useful. I think there is some data on zinc and, and it, you know, can potentially be useful to accelerate the, the remission of a, of a cold, uh, or maybe it was flu. I don't, I don't exactly remember, but generally when, when I'm sick, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still trying to stay active. You know, if, if, why is that? Cause I think it's good for your immune system. You know, like you don't want to, 
necessarily overtax yourself because again going back to allostatic load right if you're sick if your body is like fighting something you don't want to go to the gym and do high intensity interval training or even resistance training or anything like that but you know doing some like mild uh, aerobic exercise i think can be very very helpful if you're able to do it you know if you're sick above from like the neck up i think you can you can still probably go to the gym and and do higher intensity stuff like weight training and stuff. But if you're sick below the neck, I think you want to like take it easy. Staying hydrated, you know, making sure that you're uh, drinking lots of fluids. Yeah, that's pretty Would much you, it. And you stay away from like any antibiotics and all of that. This is not a conversation about that. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, Are you an anti-vaxxer? No, 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 no. <laughs> just kidding. Not that. It's, it's more just like, sometimes I think, because knock on wood, I, I get sick like maybe once a year. Yeah. But I'm always... I, I don't take antibiotics, but I never know the point at which I should. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where you're kind of like on the edge of like, oh, fuck. Like Can I'm I getting die? a fever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was sick like maybe two years ago and I was like scared. Not that I was going to die, but I was like, I'm 102 fever and how do I handle this? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not that afraid of antibiotics if I feel like, and if the doctor says that that I need them, there, you know, there have been a bunch of studies where, you know, they put they take people and they put them on a high dose regimen of Cipro, which is a very powerful antibiotic, right. and they find that within uh, it was either six weeks or six six months. But basically, like the big fear surrounding antibiotics is that it's going to decimate your microbiome, um, which is the the universe of microorganisms that live in your gut. Um, and there is some truth to that. Like it does it does you know kill off uh, you know some bacteria that that live there, but generally it repopulates. Um, you know, to, uh, to, to become mostly what it was, you know, prior to antibiotics. If you just go back to your diet and continue to eat, you know, what it was that you were eating before. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if I, if I'm sick and I'm suffering, like I, huh, I'm not that opposed to taking an over the counter, like, you know, medication to manage my symptoms. Okay. I think with, with these kinds of drugs, you really just want to be mindful of chronic use. And in that, in that chapter, actually with toxins, I talk about different drugs, like acetaminophen and NSAIDs, which are non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. My goal is not to like demonize any of these drugs because certainly there are times in our lives when we need them. And like, I'm not against medicine. The problem is when we become, when we become dependent on these drugs. So when we live, you know, when we consume diets or we, you know, live lifestyles that make us, you know, for whatever reason, always need an NSAID drug or always need acetaminophen or acid blocking medications or antibiotics, you know, I mean, you name it, the roster is huge. I think the problem is like, you know, chronic use of these drugs. But if I'm, if I have a really stuffy nose and I can't sleep because of it, yeah, I'll take like an occasional Sudafed. There's like going to be nothing wrong with that. And I think like, yeah, there are probably people in the wellness world who are like, oh my God, you take a Sudafed. But like, yeah, there's going to be no harm is going to come from that. Cause for those kinds of situations, like again, dose makes the poison. Yeah. I mean, I like, I think the big thing that happened in my life since writing my first book and what I was going through when I wrote The Genius Life is that my mother passed away and she was sort of the motivation for me to write Genius Foods. And actually what ended up happening, so my mom, you know, for, for listeners who, who, you know, haven't, who hadn't heard the story before, my mom had dementia for many years and that's what, you know, made me interested in the whole brain food uh, connection and living in a way that is going to help minimize your risk for cognitive dec decline, dementia, Alzheimer's, things like that. But Actually, it was Labor Day of 2018 when um, it was, you know, just over two years ago now, or no, just over, it was, it was about a year and three months ago. Uh, my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. 
And that's ultimately what took her life. And so having these two freak conditions, you know, develop in the person who I love most in the world without any prior family history of dementia or even cancer, you know, really kind of caused me to begin to look at everything, you know, that we do with a more critical lens. And, um, you know, because I, you know, I have no explanation for why it was that my mom got so sick. And so I think it's just, it's important to, you know, to, um, to become mindful of this stuff and to start to think critically about, you know, whatever it is that you're eating every day or that you're slathering on your skin every day or that you're smelling every day or that, you know, or that you're looking at every day. These are all the kinds of things that I think warrant a little bit more like mindfulness. And that's sort of what I, I hope that my readers take away from my, my new book. I wanted to ask about that, you know, how you're doing since your mother's passing and, you know, you've written your first book, which was hugely successful. You have the podcast, you're now on your second book. Like, are you, do you feel good? Like, do you feel happy? Do you feel fulfilled? Like, how are you feeling just day to day? I mean, I feel, I feel, I feel grateful that, uh, that I'm able to do, you know, what I love and that, that my mom is there, you know, like as the, as the, as the inspiration behind all of it. And I'm super grateful that, you know, I get to reach people and that it's, you know, that I get encouraging messages from people all the time. You know, I get, I get the occasional hater too on social media, which can be irksome mm-hmm. to say the least. But, uh, but overall I would say, I'm you know, I'm, I'm very pleased with, with the fact that I get to do this for a living and that people are responding to it. But, um, at the end of the day, I mean, I would give it all up to have my mom back in good health and to have never have had to gone down, go down this rabbit hole. You know, I mean, I'd, I, if my life would have gone in a completely different direction, you know, I'd be happy with that if that meant that I would, you know, have my mom back and in good health, but that's not that, you know, that's not what ended up happening. And she got really sick. And I think in many ways she was the canary in the coal mine for the Western way of life. And, and, and a lot of people deal with sickness, you know, and it taught me, that when a loved one gets sick, that nothing else really matters. And I just happened to be in a position in my life and with my career and with my interests and my, and my skill set, where I was able to kind of investigate this stuff and, and, and start putting it out for other people. And, and yeah, I mean, I feel good about that, that I've been able to, to turn something that was very painful and continues to be very pain, painful into something that helps me like sleep a little bit better at night, you know? So um, but my, you know, a lot of people are sick, you know, I'm not, I'm not alone. Like a lot of people are struggling with, you know, brain disorder, you know, Alzheimer's disease is, you know, reaching epidemic levels or it's, and it's projected to, um, dementia, people are dealing with cancer and things like that. And they're not always getting what they need from the medical system. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, as I mentioned, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of medicine. I actually wanted to be a doctor, like in college. That's what I started I started college on the pre-med track, but you know, with both of my mom's conditions, medicine wasn't off, able to offer her anything. Not only were they not, were medical doctors not able to offer her an explanation, but no, no real treatment, you know, in either scenario, like the dementia that she had, she was on by the end of her, of her life, she was on eight different pharmaceuticals and not one of them helped. You know, in fact, I think that they all, if anything, you know, the way that they were interacting in her, in her, in her system as she would become increasingly frail. I mean, she didn't want to take them, but no doctor would, would de-prescribe. They weren't helping. Um, And then when she, 
was diagnosed with cancer. You know, she, there was also nothing, nothing to do. And, you know, people with their certain cancers, which are very operable and, you know, resectable and, 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 you know, there's, there's hope. So I'm not saying that it's all doom and gloom, but, but certainly there are other people that are in my shoes and, uh, and it was just heartbreaking to watch. So my mission really has been about not to, not to, make statements about cancer treatment and things like that, but to really kind of get people thinking about prevention because there's this great uh, quote from John F. Kennedy, you know, the time to fix the roof is when the sun is shining. And when you have your health, you know, like that's when you really should be thinking about, about prolonging it, Mm. keeping it just, yeah, super, super, super important stuff. I think. Thank you. Beautiful. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for, so much love. Where can um, people connect with you? Where can they pick up the book? Man, well, I'm very active on Instagram at Max Lugavere, uh, L-U-G-A-V-E-R-E. And then the book is available everywhere books are sold. You can go to geniuslifebook.com. We've got some cool um, pre-order bonuses. Uh, but yeah, The Genius Life available everywhere books are sold. Yeah, yeah. and Max has also been on the pod when your first book came out. So you guys can listen to that. And you also have a pod. Yeah. It's also called the genius life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So come and check me out and I'm looking forward to having you guys on. Yeah. We're going to be on. So we'll share that with you. Um, I'm really appreciative. The book, the genius life is really good. It's um, I really like the chapter where you um, allow them to like, you take them through the foundations of the genius life where it's like each, each step-by-step process. And then the information about toxicity in the toxic chapter was really helpful to me. So I'm excited for you guys to listen to this and then buy the book. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome. All right, guys, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye guys. Love you. Thanks so much to Max. Yeah, we love always having love having you, Max. you over, hanging out. Um, Max is a wealth of information, not only on his website, but his new book. So maxlugavere.com, his new book, the Genius Life is out now everywhere books are sold. Yeah. You can follow him on, him on Instagram at Max Lugavere. He's an amazing follow. And you can listen to the episode we did previously with Max by searching Max Lugavere Almost 30 wherever you listen to podcasts. Just make sure to check out the Almost 30 podcast retreat we have happening in Malibu in May. And if you're in Austin or want to join us for a girls weekend in Austin, please do. It's happening in April. And we would love to connect with you on Instagram at almost 30 podcast. We are doing a lot of fun things there and I can be found on Instagram at it's Krista and I'm at Lindsay Simsick. Yeah, we'll see you guys on the next one. Thank you so much for supporting, subscribing, sharing with your friends. That is how we've grown so much is by sharing the messages and guests that we've had on the show with one another. It is how we can all grow together. We love you. See you next time. See you next time.